calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. My name is Aram, and my pronouns are he, him. I am the writer and producer of the Dungeon and Dragons podcast, God's Fall. My name is Dylan. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome to Kill Every Monster. This week on Kill Every Monster, we are featuring the Undead Horde. Skeletons and zombies are the foot soldiers of any undead army. While skeletons are capable of following simple and direct orders, making them capable of tasks such as loading catapults or forming a shield wall, zombies are mindless soldiers, taking the most direct route to enemies, unable to comprehend obstacles or dangerous terrain. In this episode, we are joined by Amelia Antrim. Amelia, whose pronouns are she, her, is one of the co-hosts of Character Creation Cast, a podcast that explores role-playing games by sitting down with guests and making characters in a new system each month. She's also the co-host of Garbage of the Five Rings, a podcast devoted to the lore and history of the Legend of the Five Rings, for when you love something dearly, but you know it's trash. She is also a judge for the 2021-2022 Any Awards, she can be found on Twitter at Ginger Reckoning. Welcome to the show, Amelia. Hello. I'm so excited for this. Undead is just fun. They're just always fun, especially in large, crushable numbers. <laughs> Amelia, what is the difference between a skeleton and a zombie? Okay, so a skeleton is a thing that we all have, hopefully. Ideally, I don't want to alienate any listeners that are maybe like skeleton free, but I mean, it's not good, but it's there. Yeah, I happen to know that we do have one ooze listener. I love you, Wally. For you, don't worry about it. For the rest of us <laughs> inside your body, there's lots of bones. A skeleton is just the bones. A zombie comes with all the other stuff on top of it. All of the tendons and ligaments and muscles and flesh and any other gross stuff that bodies have. You're a necromancer. Mm-hmm. Why do you choose a skeleton instead of a zombie? What, what is the actual functional difference when you're sending something out into battle? 
so it's less to reanimate. You don't have to do as much work. I assume it takes less magic. Also, it's just not as gross. Zombies, when you reanimate them, come with everything that they had when they were in the ground or in the water or wherever you like to get your corpses from. Store-bought is fine. I really appreciate that you, you're you implying like a, a degree of harvest to this. Yeah, it's harder to get skeletons. Dead body, not that hard. But to clean it and just get all the flesh off it so it's just a skeleton is extra work. That's fair. That's and it, fair. And it would make sense because if you're like if you're on a battlefield and you're just trying to pull up an army, you get zombies. They come crawling out of the ground, half destroyed, gross and awful. If you're setting up your weird, freaky goth palace and you want your skeleton butlers, you have to make sure they're cleaned and polished and maybe dipped in gold have little etchings on them and you want them to have been butlers previously too because like they they can kind of remember those things whereas zombies are just kind of stumbling around and you know bumping into anything that gets in their way a skeleton is like a little more it has like a little more nuance to it it's a little bit more purposeful yeah a little more finesse If you've got a zombie, you can reanimate muscle. Like, the, the bones are being held together by stuff still. There's actual mechanics to make the arms work. If you've got a skeleton, you've got to make magic to actually fully animate it at all. It's basically just wood. You have to do necromancy to make sort of a pseudo-bicep to make the entire arm bend in the first place. Creating a zombie is taxidermy. Creating a skeleton is more the art of a puppeteer. It's just a different skill. But one is more mechanical, just knock it down the line, while the other one is creating little individual works of art. I'm not going to say that it's not necromancy, but at the same time, a skeleton feels a lot more like an animated object, whereas like you're possessing a zombie, you're animating it with impetus to move and then it's doing its stuff, whereas like a skeleton's almost a construct, basically. You do have to, like, tell it what to do and, you know, kind of make it go where you want it to go, other than things that it specifically remembers doing. There's, like, that rote memorization, which is why you want to make sure that if you are trying to get skeleton butlers, you get skeletons from butlers. This is, like, lots of people forget this when they're trying to make skeleton butlers, and then you have, you know, like a barista or something, and it's just not the same. That little detail about them being able to like retain memory that somehow experiences like exist in the bone, sit somehow in the marrow. And then when you reanimate the skeleton, that memory comes with them. That detail is horrifying because people would realize that. They would understand after some time, especially if you've got a lot of skeletons, that they retain some memory, at least in these repetitive actions. And that would make those corpses valuable in death. You could sell them as like, this one will stand guard by your door, at least in a mockery of it, right? Or this one will walk back and forth between these two places. You could just put, it's like a Disney animatronic. And because they'd be so valuable that way, in life, they'd be enforced to repeat tasks repetitively in order to train their skeletons so it's more valuable than them when they're dead. Oh, he's been with the family for centuries. <laughs> I know, God. 
I love that D&D includes this in the monster manual, the mention that if you fight a skeleton, there's one surefire way to take down a skeleton that's raised dead. You can just evict the evil animating force and bring the person back. That's horrifying. Horrifying. Absolutely. But at the same time, it creates this thing where like, the way Raise Dead works is specifically like communing with the god, getting the soul back from the afterlife, which implies that if you animate a skeleton, it's fine because the skeleton is unattached from the soul. The soul is off in heaven doing its own shit and the skeleton's back home buttling. It's got a weird like pseudo muscle memory because as previously mentioned, it doesn't have muscles, but it's doing this shit. And the butler soul is just off being fine. What if it wasn't a butler? So what if it was a nanny? So a favorite nanny died. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they raised the nanny back, but the skeleton's kind of scary. So they sew a big bear suit of like a big. Why are you like this? <laughs> sew a big bear suit around it. And it's just. So do you think that like bear. a giant human sized bear is less terrifying to children? Than a skeleton? Yeah, I think it's an easier sell. Maybe like my children are just too used to being around me, but I feel like they like a weird taxidermy bear would be scarier than a skeleton like a skeleton's not gonna bite you it's just freaky i know that this is a less fundamental complaint but one of the things that they bring up specifically in that whole like skeletons can do simple rote commands if you describe them step by step is that skeletons can't handle deviation from commands they are essentially shitty robots they can be coded and unless you have a line of code to catch that exception it breaks. Aram, children are just exceptions. Sure. That's true. You can't make a skeleton nanny. It very specifically says in here, they adapt poorly to changing circumstances. Sure. Okay. So it can't be good at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. So it could be a nanny. It just would be a be really a shitty, shitty one. Really shitty I had a base okay, assumption that we wanted it to be good at the job, but you're right. It can do the job. You just wait to like the local high school guy who's the mascot gets hit by a car or whatever. And then you sew him into the bear suit as a, you know, as a skeleton. And he's your kid's big <laughs> plush animal forever. Why can't you just borrow the mascot suit? <laughs> Why do you need to wait for someone to get hit by a car first? You could, but you're a rich asshole. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about capitalism. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Exactly>. My bad. <laughs> exactly. Human beings, normal people. Yes. Just borrow the bear suit. <gasps> oh. This is Jeff Bezos's nanny. Right. I got it. All I want is a permanent living doll for my child that I raise via necromancy because I'm rich. What's the problem? Okay. Well, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> I'm telling you, this is an adventure hook for some game I'm playing in the future. <laughs> Skeleton bear nanny. Because the usual question is meaningless in this case. You know, I can't really ask, is a skeleton a monster? Uh, hey, Amelia, is Aram a fucking monster? Well, Aram does have a skeleton, so yes. <laughs> I mean, really, I think the answer is, aren't we all monsters? How about this? Is raising the dead inherently an evil act? I like to think of it as giving people a second chance. Like, a really unique an exciting recycling program. There's a worker shortage right now. And I think that like, we could do something about that with the power of necromancy. We have this sort of existential fear of death. And I think necromancy 
provides some answers to those really big questions about what happens after we die. Our corpses are raised and used to become weird bear nannies. There's no way that system doesn't get abused horribly. There'd be undead armies, that we'd be building an undead wall. There, in, in everything where you could say, okay, we can't do this because it's inhuman, you can now go, well, that's no longer a problem. No, it's post-human. Would the undead make us think more about who we are and what we become? Sure, but also it would just excuse us to, to divorce ourselves that much from our own humanity. But would it even force us to ask those questions? Because right now we we don't have undead that we know of. And people already are not asking those questions about like, you know, what makes you human? How do we value people and, you know, their contributions to society and community and all of those things? We're already not asking those questions. And this is something that I, I feel like could be the entire crux of a campaign. There's nothing I love more than when you have that idea of like, the wizard can come to an actual answer and the cleric can begrudge that answer because you can have a complete moral opposition to the undead and that just makes sense on its face. But if I were to say, no, 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 I can demonstrate that once the soul has left the body, if I reanimate this as a skeleton, I have effectively created, you know, an automaton and the soul is over there and it's doing its own shit. I could cast speak with that and like do a little seance and the soul will be like, hey, I'm over here and I'm fine. What what possible objection can you have to a skeleton at that point? I mean, I guess property would be my answer, I guess, would yeah. be the only real objection. Like, well, that's mine. You can't just take my house after I'm dead. So then do you will your bones to your children? I guess you'd have to. You say, like, these are the property of my children, right? So, like, you start writing that in there? There should be something about the spell where if someone has a will where they've written and, and you know, and declared where their body is then transferred to that you can no longer raise them, you know, without the approval of whoever it's been signed over to or something like some nice little thing. Like we have to go to court before we can raise these skeletons. There's <laughs> exactly. going to be like a lengthy lawsuit. <laughs> Don't make it part of the spell. That becomes part of the setting where that is considered a moral evil. Like you've stolen someone's body, even if they're not actually in it. So you've done bad. These are the necromancers that people are worried about. You can have the legal and the illegal necromancers, which then also recreates a system of capitalism because you create a situation where you can have someone literally selling their body and bequeathing it to other people to make sure that during their life. But now you have one person who has this entire huge fucking skeleton horde that is just farming land and building simple goods. If you have this amazing farmer, they're going to be very valuable as a skeleton. If you have a talented shoemaker, they'll be incredibly valuable. It'd be a whole economy. Or there's like a whole skeleton black market at that point. 100%. Oh, no, it's fine. You just have to, you know, raise yourself up by your bone straps and learn necromancy, reanimate your grandfather, and it'll be fine. Meanwhile, you've got a guy who has never learned a single fucking cantrip in his life, but his parents, his grandparents were necromancers, and now he just has a bunch of necromancers on staff who continue reanimating the dead for him. It's a real shame about that mine cave in, all those poor workers, but it just so happens that part of their contract is they get signed over. Oh, what, what a fortunate, unfortunate accident for that mine owner right so like there's that question too is like do you have to pay the skeletons N no you would think because we're considering them to be property and not 
people. Which is what we, we would 100% do. We, would, we, right. we, all, we right. already do. We already treat organs as property. Right. And so, you know, your skeleton is just another thing inside your body, same as your eyeballs or your heart or whatever. So then you don't have to pay your skeletons. No, they're just free labor forever. So then the only thing like stopping you is getting caught, right? Because like the only reason that you don't like harvest organs, I mean, aside from like being a good person, right? Right. <laughs> aside from that. You would get caught stealing someone's lungs. Yeah. But how would you get caught? If it's a skeleton, how do you prove it? How do you say this is this person? Speak with that. Like the actual solution would legitimately be channel the soul, talk to the person. Right. But this creates the same sort of thing where you can really create these systems in a D&D game and it's going to be uncomfortably real because if the guy has a thousand skeletons and you want to prove one of them isn't, well, one, you have to identify it. You have to get a hold of it. You have to cast this spell, which is going to require the services of a relatively high level necromancer. It's like you've created an insurmountable barrier, but it is a simple and direct solution to the problem. And that's the thing about willing your, your bones to your children, too, is that, you know, you would have to then, like, you know, contest that or something at some point, And whoever has bottomless pockets is going to win because they're going to be able to, you know, afford the fancy necromancers. And if you're really lucky, like there might like it might be like the FDA where once in a while the guy shows up on the right farm and catches the right asshole. But that's just so rare. That's a couple people a year. Does the FDA have jurisdiction over necromancers? I would imagine the majority of undead labor would be in farm fields. I mean, the FDA has jurisdiction over like, you know, like medical devices and medications and all that kind of stuff. So I guess they, I would assume that this would fall under the same as like. I think the FDA would have jurisdiction over the process of making the skeleton itself. But it'd have to be some sort of workplace organization that actually has like basically be OSHA going in and checking. Yeah, so I suppose the FDA would just have jurisdiction over, like, approving the necromantic methods, right? This is the most ethical way to raise a skeleton. <laughs> yes. Which then brings up the other bit, which is zombies. For reasons that I don't fully understand, but I suspect have something to do with racism, zombies are specifically always evil. Aren't all undead evil? It is just a skeleton with more hit points. You're right. It's the same creature. All necromancy is evil, but skeletons, like I said, are described as functioning more or less like robots. You give them instructions and they carry out their instructions. Right. Zombies are inherently basically possessed by a spirit of malice. If you animate a zombie, it will try to kill. Zombies are described as neutral evil and skeletons are described as lawful evil. So that does back that up. Yeah. And that's the thing is when you read through the description of the skeleton, it doesn't say anything that really implies evil aside from the existence of necromancy. You're taking it as a sort of axiom that doing a necromancy is bad, which I can accept. It's not technically. You might as well say organ transplant is bad. It's all about how you use it and like, you know, what your intentions are. If there is a soul and in, in this world, you can prove there's a soul and you can prove it has vacated the body. It's literally just things at that point. It's just meats. There is less of an ethical issue of raising the dead in this world than there would be in our world. When you look at the description of the skeleton, it obviously describes it as being specifically evil shit and it's bad. 
But a skeleton completely left to its own devices, left unattended, they also describe it as falling back into old patterns. If you have a skeleton guardsman and you just leave them unattended, they might fall back into an old post, not where they're supposed to be guarded, but now they're just leaning up against the gate. So you can tell me it's evil, but at the end of the day, you've just created a shitty version of the person who like falls back on memory and isn't capable of complex, higher cognitive tasks. But a zombie is specifically, like I said, when you reanimate it, if you just leave it to its own devices and there's meat nearby, it'll bite a guy. Well, that's interesting you say that because in both the zombie and the skeleton, they have undead nature. A skeleton or zombie doesn't require air, food, drink, or sleep. So why is a zombie so prone to always eat? Like in this world, there's no need for the zombie to eat according to the character. This isn't really a zombie as far as we understand it. It doesn't propagate like zombies do in zombie worlds. This is literally just a skeleton with flesh. It doesn't bite people and make more zombies, which is what it should do, but they can't do that in this world. Otherwise, it would just be like, they can't just exist. It would either be a thing that threatens everyone right now that we have to destroy, or there's none of them. Because that's a whole different set of ethical concerns of like, can we kill it because it's infected? And, you know, like that's a whole other like area of academic research if you really want to get into it. This is just a corpse that stood up again. The relevant paragraph in the zombie description is a zombie retains no vestiges of its former self, its mind devoid of thought and imagination. A zombie left without order simply stands in place and rots unless something comes along that it can kill. The magic animating a zombie imbues it with evil, so left without purpose, it attacks any living creature it encounters. But otherwise it's just like they'll just all sit in a room. It's just, it's not a zombie. Why not make the zombie different? And why have that? Why not that be the ethical thing? Like, sure, if you raise a skeleton, it's a servant and it's safe. It's this fun little thing. Maybe people are even used to them, right? But if you raise a zombie, you've endangered the nation. How effing dare you? Like, that is a much more interesting dynamic for me. And like, what about having muscles and blood makes you kill crazy is the skeleton just like a naked zombie or or is the zombie like a fleshy skeleton like it feels like they should be roughly the same if you animate a skeleton you have to build it from the ground up it doesn't have a mind it doesn't have organs it doesn't have meat it is bones which are more or less wood then why is the skeleton the one that retains some semblance of its habits. That I have absolutely no idea. Because it makes sense to me that a zombie would be have that bit of malice because if you make the claim that D&D obviously will, that like morals are basically encoded in the soul. Right. Then if you animate a zombie and it has all of the meat and the mind is there and you've animated just impulse so that it can move, it's ambiently going to be hungry. But like, why does the skeleton have the memories where all the flesh should carry the memories? Like, where is the muscle memory? Why doesn't that work, right? Yeah. For the skeleton, you're just basically hitting it with magical, you know, paddles to jerk it back to life and have it just thrash around. With a skeleton, you're carefully weaving it and you're tying it back together. And there should be something about the magic where you have to like weave in a strand of their hair or whatever to bind it to that original person. So you're just, you're magically 
retaining something. And there is a lot of talk and a lot of like, you know, it's in the bones. And what if it's literally in the bones? Like that's but where the zombie some still memories, has bones too. It just maybe it's because it's just not as carefully crafted. Because it's not as cool. Yeah. It's not as cool. It's not as cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're going to continue with this bit of like setting building, then it's because even the skeleton is technically a little immoral because you're actually tying in a little bit of the soul. They haven't fully detached, and that's why you can just bring a skeleton back to back to life. Reanimating a zombie is also called out, but it specifically requires a full-blown resurrection spell. Do you think the zombie is closer to being human than the skeleton? Yes. Yes. I think the zombie would have like innate reactions closer to being dead. So like it's much more like instinctive and, you know, rather whereas the skeleton is like we've we've stripped away sort of like the instinct part of it. And all that's left is like the memory. The only reason to make a skeleton instead of like a golem for the sake of argument. And one day we will have someone Jewish on to talk about golems and the grand clusterfuck that is D&D's golems. But if you make a golem, you have to build a huge amount of infrastructure. And even though skeletons would be way harder than zombies, you're still starting off with literally a skeleton. You have all yeah. of the bones. You have sort of an implied network of energy that should flow through it. And the bones are programmed. Just makes it easier. And otherwise, like I said, it's any other construct. Whereas a zombie is like... If you started a resurrection spell and got really fucking lazy and were like, ah, the instincts are good enough. Close enough. There's also the simple like game design argument that a skeleton is a very low challenge enemy. I expect to throw a series of skeletons at a low level party where they don't have a bunch of like magical items or alternate combat options where I built a ranger. He has a longbow because I couldn't afford buying pants after the longbow. Classic rookie mistake. You're going to throw skeletons at me and tell me, no, 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 sorry. The only weapon you have at your disposal doesn't do any damage. That fucking sucks. That's a bummer. When you're dealing with something like a, a gargoyle, where the party's going to start getting to higher levels, the ranger's starting to get spells, so they have choices now, and do you burn your spell slots to be able to get a couple hits in? That's completely fine. I'm on board for that. But for a skeleton, just from a pure game design perspective, it feels shitty to be a level two character and just be told, no. Sorry, your only weapon doesn't work against this enemy. Fuck off. I wanted to cover skeletons first because zombies have, in my opinion, one of the most flavorful and potentially the coolest ability of the monster manual, which is Undead Fortitude. Undead Fortitude is if damage reduces the zombie to zero hit points, it makes a con save of DC five plus damage taken. Unless it's radiant damage or a critical hit, because a critical hit means you stabbed it in the head. And radiant damage is, it's God damage, so fine, whatever. God hates zombies. God hates zombies. God hates zombies. It's just factually accurate. They have their updated zombie, which has the loathsome limbs ability. Whenever the zombie takes at least five bludgeoning or slashing damage at one time, roll a d20 to determine what else happens. Either a, a leg is severed, an arm is severed, the zombie is decapitated, which instantly kills it. But the arm and the legs can still crawl around and do zombie shit. How come the skeletons can't do that? Because you break the little magical threads like we talked earlier. Then once you break them, like it's gone, like it's just a bone again. Once it's severed from. So like you can cut off part of a zombie and it can still wiggle around. But part of a skeleton, like a skeleton's only reanimated all 
together? You can infuse magic into meat. You're infusing the meat. The skeleton has to have like a current. There's a circuit through it. And when you break the circuit, it's gone. But the meat has just ambient magic in it. I got it. I got it. Oh, but I really love the visual of like little crawling skeleton hands. Like none of these are rules. Like anything Stop can happen. Stop trying to explain things. I want a creepy skeleton hand. Do whatever you want. I mean, seriously, <laughs> like like none of these are rules. Literally, do what you want. If your if if your table wants a creepy walking skeleton hand, fucking give it to him. It's fun. It doesn't matter. So Amelia, zombies and or skeletons, are they monsters? Yes. Technically, I feel like monsters on their own. You know what? No, I'm going to say they're they're like tools of a monster. Let's say for the sake of argument that necromancers are bad, then they are tools of a necromancer. I don't think that in and of themselves, they are monsters. They are not things that you can just go out into the world and find. They are created by someone. A shovel isn't evil. If you kill someone with it, that's evil. Right. If a necromancer beats someone with a shovel and then raises their corpse, that's evil. And I think that's extra true for skeletons in the case where it's like, if you just left us, if you reanimated a skeleton and left it in the woods, would it make a sound? Right. Well, it depends on what it did for a living before that. If it was a woodcutter, yes. 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 Uh-huh. A zombie is, I think, specifically a monster because it'll do a murder left to its own devices, but a skeleton's a shovel. Yeah, the zombie is kind of a weird in-between where it's like, it's it's not something that you would come across naturally. It has to be created. Yeah. And then once created, it is monstrous. It's an extra level of it is a monster and someone else is at fault. But is it is it though? This zombie, according to this to these rules, will not go hunt you down. It'll just stand in an area and if you get near it, it'll kill you, right? But so will a rhino. And a rhino is not a monster. So is this zombie actually a monster? But then the question is, how many other things in D&D are not monsters then? Because they only Everything attack so you far. if you stumble most, across most it. Things. Like, you know, Beholder? Maybe. But like everything else? like A Beholder has monstrous intent beyond that and will right. do things that could impact you. But a zombie will just literally sit in a room and do nothing unless you come across its path. But I think that's exactly the point that Amelia was making is like, if you had a rhino and you came across a rhino, it might get territorial. It'll try to scare you off, but it's not going to try to kill you. It'll, if it tries to kill you, it'll be nominally defensive. If you get near a zombie, a zombie perceives you, its response is living thing, make dead thing. But does that make it a monster? There's no intent there. That's why I said, I think it's, I think it's monstrous. I think it is, you know, and I don't even think skeletons go that far. I think, you know, they are still like tools more than anything. But I think a zombie is monstrous. It is made into a monster by circumstance. It's like a Canadian goose. They will attack anything on site. Because they will just attack literally anything that gets near them. They're just mean, vicious little bastards. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. It's monstrous. I, I I don't know. I feel like those are more monsters than zombies. Because, like, sometimes you don't even get near them and they're, like, chasing you down in a parking lot. They'll come across a fucking lake just to nip at your ankles. Right? Oh, you think nip at your ankles? You don't realize the damage those fuckers can do. They are... They're terrifying. They're terrifying. Given the the 5e stat block, 
tweaks. And we'll we'll include the optional variant rules. Amelia, what would you change about the way skeletons and zombies are written? I kind of like skeletons as they are, because I think you can use them in your game as monsters if you want. They can, you know, be that low-level thing to just smash. Um, but you can also just have them do cool stuff like be butlers because they will do that. Um, so I, I really mostly would leave them alone. I, I like them just for being like, sometimes you need something that's easy and basic and like, I don't want to think a ton. I just want something to smash. Yeah, I would change nothing about the base skeleton, but I want, and we talked about this before, I want a skeleton template. I want mm. something from 3.5. I want a skeleton template that can be added to everything because a minotaur skeleton is not the same as a human skeleton is not the same as a bear skeleton is not the same as a zo These things right. have to be different. And I want just a little template I can drop onto everyone and make a skeleton of anything. Yeah. I mean, in the, the monster manual has uh, what minotaur and warhorse too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of, other options, lots of other things that also have skeletons. You can only raise things with skeletons, right? So thing you couldn't raise something with an exoskeleton. You couldn't have a spider. Well, why not? Because it's just a skeleton on the outside. That's just a matter of where the bones are. Stuff with exoskeletons becomes way more interesting to fight because they're immediately more fragile. Mm-hmm. Because that's the entire flaw with an exoskeleton is that because they're small, like the ratio of thicknesses works out fine. Right. But if you had a giant spider, even if its shell is like an inch thick, if its leg is a foot around, it'll shatter like nothing. It'll be like semi-translucent. It'll be like, it would be weird and gross. And I think oh, it'd be Oh, but fantastic. you fill that with like some glowing fungus spores or something. That would be cool as fuck. I always picture skeletons as being like animated with like the current running through the bones, right? If your bones are, like I said, translucent and very, very loosely connected, because instead of having the meat directly on them, they're actually like chunks of armor, you know? You would see the magic. Giant undead spiders walking around looking like a gamer's PC rig. Yeah. Just glowing underneath, sold. Yeah, just get some, some exoskeletons, some rope lights, you're good to go. If you're fighting a human skeleton in a dungeon, you would have to get up close in a dark room and you'd see that it's glowing. But if there was no, no lights in the hallway, the torches are all out, and then a spider comes scuttling out the wall, that is, it's lit up. The hallway is glowing because that's enormous and just... Disco spider. Spooky disco spider. Screw the dungeon. Give me some ecstasy and raise a spider. <laughs> <laughs> So how would you change the zombie? I would make them more like zombies in anything else. Like, I just think they're not different enough from skeletons. So like, I feel like I would, maybe I should say that as a change to the skeleton, but I would mash zombies and skeletons together and a zombie would just be like a variant of that. It's like, you know, squishy skeleton. If you want to make the zombie more like zombies, I mean, and also make them way scarier as a horde thing, make it something where they grapple and bite. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to let them heal like a van like, like half the undead do, honestly. But if they start holding you down and weighing you down and suddenly you've got 
14 zombies attached to you and now they're all biting and they all have advantage on their rolls, they become a lot scarier. The zombies should roll advantage on all strength checks. Right. They should be like, you know, I think if you're going to give them that like, in you know, that innate like desire to kill, then you need to make it serious and make it so that like they mean it you know, making it sort of like a contagion or something that can be, you know, passed to other people opens like a whole other can of worms and questions of ethics and all that kind of stuff. But at least it does something to make them more interesting because right now I don't feel like they are. And makes it a bigger ethical dilemma because you're always going to have like the rogue who gets bit and doesn't fucking tell anyone. Right, right. So a lot of the undead do have those rules like vampires will turn you, whites will turn you. Having the zombies specifically give you a disease that has no mechanical effects aside from you will rise as a zombie when you die. I mean, and I think it would be cool to like give them some kind of, you know, if they're reanimated the way that they are, like the way they were when they died, um, you know, give them some kind of like feature or something that the players can recognize is like, hey, this is somebody that we met before that is now also a zombie. And, you know, some of that is like story stuff as opposed to just actually changing any kind of stat block about it. Yeah, maybe but. they draw a sword the same way or they have or they or they always put a feather in their hair because that's what they would have done. That kind of thing. Right. They're yeah. wearing the same coat that like, you know, you remember or the boots or whatever. Something that makes it sort of significant for the players as opposed to just another pile of bones. You saw him last week and that guy that looks like he was been dead for years. That's still him. That's just what happened to him. And some of that is just like stuff, like the space that I like to play in, which is those really like moral gray areas is my favorite place to be in a game. So some of that I know is just me, like other people are like, I just want to kill it and I don't want to ask questions. And that's fine. Do D&D your way. I like to have to think of like, can I kill this guy? Is it the same person? Is it like, is it just his body or also his soul way who did this can i get this like i like all of those moral questions and i like to have to think before i kill something as a podcast network our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you but we also sell merch and organizing that was made both possible and easy with shopify Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So, Amelia, there is an old, somewhere between a library and a fortress... It was built 150 years ago by a wizard who, while immensely powerful, was unfortunately short-lived. What does this fortress look like when you're coming in from the outside? I think from the outside, it's pretty unassuming. It's just like big stone building. It's clearly built for uh, like its structural purposes it's not it's not beautiful it is just meant to stand there and withstand anything and so it's just a big stone square really it's like very cold war almost just a brutalist castle soviet dwarves that's what we're looking at right now absolutely soviet soviet era dwarves Mm -hmm. aram how did you get in? This is something that is built brutally, it is built functionally, and it is clearly not built to be entered, so I want to know how you got from the outside to the inside. I have a secret weapon. Bribes. Bribes will get you so many places, Dylan, and sometimes a lot cheaper than the normal ways you would get to places. So I've just been bribing my way up, and. This incredibly nice local gentleman has gotten me this far and has basically helped me, you know, use these vines as a rope. You can just climb right up them and, you know, more or less walked me right to the front door. Not that I will not take pride in my journals and talk about the long struggles I have faced getting here, but more or less I have been ushered to the front steps of this temple slash library. It's a story where there'll be a single line of, with the aid of a local guide, and then no mention ever again. Not even a name, nothing. There's just three names crossed off in a row, and then a young guide. You just do that thing where you like kind of scribble it so it looks like words, but like you can't really (laughs) read what it is, because it's not anything. And my guide... He gets you in there, and it's one of those things where uh, the ivy has grown up, the vines have kind of gotten up to the sides where you can get on top of this thing. 
And as with anything, you don't really expect anyone to try to come in through the roof. Not to mention the fact that any wizard worth their salt has a little bit of an observatory, and those things are meant to be opened. However, you've been given the warning ad nauseum. This is the ubiquitous haunted house that every village has, where we had one person go in, they didn't come out. We had one person go in, they came out, they won't talk about it, and they've never been the same. We had one guy go in, he came out, and he had something fairly precious. He managed to sell it off. He died within the year. All of these stories over and over again. It's the problem with people, because magic exists, right? And I'm searching yeah. down magic that does weird things. People will tell stories when magic does weird things. The problem is people will tell stories when nothing has happened except for just bad luck because people are dumb. So it's always hard to separate what's a real bad thing that's good for me and just a bad thing that's just bad but doesn't help me. And I'm hoping that this is the first one. And surely what happened to them would never happen to you. No, of course not. I'm educated. Right. You'd have to be some sort of fool who'd touch an entirely inappropriate object. Yes. Who would do that? Who indeed? Rom, what trap did you trigger on your way in? So my guide gets me all the way to the top. And again, I don't remember his name. It's not important. But he does know where this lever is. As a lever to release this mechanism where we just open up on top these two huge stone doors that open and lift up and then slam to either side. Big, huge iron chains from some internal mechanism pulling them up and out. I have this blue sapphire on a long silver chain that I lower into the chamber and whisper a few words in draconic. And it just lights up, casting these little beams and motes of light throughout the room that banish the wards and the man-eating shadows I know to be down there. I thank my guide, I pay him his gold, I tie a rope to the top, and I lower myself down, bathed in this soft blue magical light. Truly proud of myself. And as I alight to the floor below, the second my boot touches that stone tile, it sinks and there's a heavy, deep thud as something engages. Amelia, what was the first what was the first defense measure that this wizard left in their wake? Um, I think it was a room like slowly rising water. Just enough to like not, you know, not like start spilling out of doorways or anything, but enough that like a person would have to really struggle and kind of swim, like that your feet couldn't touch yeah. the floor. So either you would drown or get really tired. The doors are sealed. The water level does not get high enough for you to reach that lip that you came in through. It's pointedly like an arm's length too low. Just enough so that you can hope, that you can dream that you'd be able to reach it, but you won't. But it's not a problem for me because as I said, I am educated and well prepared. So as the water rises up to my knees, I don't even panic. I simply grab a patch from my many patched robe, rip it off, toss it upon the rising water and a canoe unfolds in front of me. I casually 
step into it and lean back and am simply lifted as the waters rise. So when you tell this story later, it becomes the story of like you waiting patiently, knowing that the spell will dissipate. And it did. That was that was technically true. Uh, the water lasted for a good like eight to 12 hours. It's set to dissipate in the morning. So it's like you you start off by taking your notes, but the ceiling is open. So when the rain starts. Oh, <laughs> and there is just a good three hour stretch where you have to, like, keep everything under your robes and you're just huddled in there fucking miserable while the rain comes down and you just have to sit in your shitty little boat <laughs> floating above <laughs> anything interesting. Think about what you did. I've got my patch robe over me, which has no other patches that will work. Like I can't summon a dog or a window. None of these are going to keep me dry. So I'm just under my useless patch robe on my magical boat. I have a question. The things that you just pitched to keep you dry were a dog in a window. <laughs> I want to know what fucking world you live in because the options are worse a ladder is worse a dog has more surface area <laughs> than a ladder and so does a window another boat won't help me that's a bad idea so i'm just saying those were the a scroll case is too small those were the best options i had facing me I, honestly i think another boat would be more helpful wouldn't it like you could like like a clamshell I think you could only have one of each. Oh, no, there are always two of each. So I could I could summon a second boat and just be like inside it and then just spend the night. And that's what I'm going to do. I summon a second boat. I pull over me and I just like in this floating coffin I've created, I settle down for the night. After about an hour of rain, you're soaked through the robe, and you've just taken off the robe and have it splayed out in front of you on the boat. You're like, fucking dog's not going to help. <laughs> if I put in a window, I can... Wait, what the fuck am I going to put a window in? Why would... Can I just put the window in a wall? I never really worked out how this works. And it's, like I said, an hour of you just staring at this robe. There's only one window patch left because I did summon one wondering and I just like tossed it and then a window appears in midair and immediately crashed to the ground and shattered. I was like, oh shit, and I haven't used it since. <laughs> it's just actually the pane of glass. It's not like <laughs> actually like makes a window into anything. Got it. No one's ever used these, right? You have to you have to place them on a bare wall and then a window appears, but no one knows that because they've always fucked them up and it just ends up in broken glass, just piles of shattered glass. It'd be really great if it, like, flashed red and then green when you put it in the right spot. <laughs> exactly. I love this internal canon that your character has of, like, no, no one has ever used a robe of useful items appropriately. It's not me. I'm not a goddamn fool. It's not user error. I'm just as much of a fool as everyone else, Dylan. So by the end of the day, like as the sun is starting to come up, basically just when you can see the light starting to crest on the horizon, the room just starts to drain and the boat just sinks down. Finally, I pushed the other boat off. Dread because I'm all cramped up. Oh yeah, and the oh. boat's like got enough water in it that there's been no point where you've had dry feet. Okay, I look specifically at that stone. I do not step there. 
and I get out of the boat. I stretch and I look around. You are currently in an observatory. Ah, I have observed an observatory. I say out loud to myself. You're the worst. And we have basically a day of this, of like you wandering through, kind of in inspecting and wandering deeper and deeper and knowing because it's always true every wizard puts everything of value in the basement underground is the best way to mask the magical signature so that you don't just have an ambient detect magic pick up your entire experiment you're headed downward and we get over and over again just avoiding a simple trap triggering a different trap it out and it takes every spell slot you have prepared it basically eats you until you wander in to a large ritual chamber i've got like three patches left all right used all the other ones i hope one of them's dog (laughs) he did it was an effective solution to the trap that he was trying to stop and then the dog immediately wandered onto a different tile and triggered a second trap And the dog was smarter than Aram and made it out no problem. That's right. The dog's fine. Aram's still trapped. Exactly. Yes. 100% what would happen to. (laughs) (laughs) Amelia, I want you to place this uh, ritual space on a sliding scale from laboratory to Cthulhu sacrifice. Ooh. Where does, like, candelabras and huge chandelier fall in that? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that at like a four. We've started getting into like unnecessarily ostentatious, but we haven't gotten into like full-blown creepity yet. I think that this is like a tasteful level of gold filigree. This is decoration out of respect for the art more than, you know, actually trying to show off in any way. Right. It's just, just like all done out of a love of fresco, really. Yes. <laughs> and who doesn't love a good fresco? This place has been littered with bodies. Adventurers, uh, monsters, some of them look to be experiments. There was something that you are absolutely certain was an attempt to build a dragon out of other stuff. No, that's a terrible idea. It clearly didn't work. No. Because it's dead. Yes, but there's also a rather large amount of bodies around it, which would suggest it worked for a while. In this space, uh, there's this huge ritual circle, and at the center is the thing you've been hunting. I want you to describe it for me. Tell me what you came here for. The great Zardukai gem. I have heard tale about this. It is a diamond ruby emerald. All three gems have been fused through dark magic, so they all just kind of meld together, and it just rotates and spins as these colors seem to always be moving. Like the reds are always seeping into the green, seeping into the whites. Like it's just always kind of flowing in between. So sometimes it's almost completely a diamond. Sometimes it's all emerald and it just keeps flowing and pulsing as it spins in this shaft of light before me. You know this gem to have one major function, and that is channeling. It itself is not really that magic. At the end of the day, like, it it isn't for casting spells. It's for, like, 
essentially, you can construct a higher level spell slot. Over time, you can just keep dumping more magic into it. You can piecewise build a spell. There's a reason why gems are so frequently used as spell focuses, because they just resonate at the right frequency to help you focus that magic. People have tried to bind gems together so that you can focus more than one type of magic at once, but they always shatter. This, however, in its fluid state that has somehow been permanently achieved, this is something far different and far more powerful. What do you do? Pause, and I will investigate. I want you to roll me an Arcana check. 12 plus 6 is 18. You can tell that this has some latent energy. Nothing, nothing particularly apocalyptic, and you can tease apart that there are bits and pieces of like various forms of magic you can see. The evocation, the transmutation, the conjuration, and of course, as you knew would be here, necromancy. And there's, there's enough glow, there's enough power to imply that something was going on. The wizard, uh, from stories you've heard, this is just a man who passed in his sleep. Either he was very early on in a new procedure, or it's just been leaking over time, and there's just sort of remnant left. All right, then I break out this wooden box, pop it open, and it's just filled with little vials and powders and little packets, and it's all kind of arranged like a tackle box would unfold. So there's all these different little pockets that can be held. And I start to create a magic circle around this item before I engage with it. So is this a spell? Is this a check you have to make? What, tell me how this works. Magic circle. You create a 10-foot radius, 20-foot tall cylinder of magical energy centered on a point on the ground that you can see within range. Glowing runes appear wherever the cylinder intersects with the floor or other surface. I choose one or more of the following types of creatures, celestials, elementals, fey fiends, or undead. The circle affects a creature of the chosen type in the following ways. The creature can't willingly enter the cylinder I'm creating a circle that keeps the thing I choose out. And if there's necromatic energy, I'm going to keep necromatic energy out. Then that spell happens. Like there's one. <laughs> Lasts one hour. And you get a nice 10 foot radius, 30 uh, ish foot uh, circumference circle to work in. I'm doing my math wrong. It's two pi r. It's to be 60 foot circumference. Why did I do math? Why did I do that? That was a stupid thing to do. This is a podcast. I was not told there would be math. <laughs> it's not important. You cast this spell, and you have your your 10-foot radius. You have this glowing... It's almost shimmering white in that way that you can see that there is something there, but you couldn't quite put your finger for just 100% certain if it's real or if it's just a trick of the light. It is, like you said just at that base and up at the ceiling where you see those dancing runes to it. How do you engage? Walk over to it and I would just hold out a hand and I'm going to cast my second third level spot. So I've blown both of them now. And I'm going to cast Dispel Magic. 
Choose one creature, object, or magical effect within range. Any spell of third level or lower on the target ends. For each spell of fourth level or higher on the target, make an ability check using your spell casting ability. The DC equals 10 plus the spell's level. On a successful check, the spell ends. And I want you to make a DC 15 intelligence check. Natural 20 plus three is 23. You cast the spell magic. There is a problem. <laughs> so what you've done is essentially the f- major effect was containment. Oh, <laughs> I should have investigated a tad wall. And you, you rocked it, like. <laughs> oh no. And that's that's sort of the good news of it is like this is something that should, by all rights, have exploded. This was a terrible idea. And you managed to make it just leak. And you can feel that little, that area that, that magic circle, fill. Oh. You have a 10 foot radius, something like 20 foot high cylinder, just full of necromantic energy. But you you did roll a natural 20. Yeah. So what I'm going to say is you've managed to funnel this power very, very competently. You spent a long fucking day taking hits and casting spells, trying to get through these, these traps, and you are coming out of this recharged. Ah. That evocation, that necromancy, it runs through you, and there's a bit where it hurts. But you are rejuvenated. You are at full hit points. You have your spell slots. Basically, what I'm saying is for this encounter, I'm letting you come in at full fucking. It brought you back to life fully, which is what necromancy should do. I'm feeling very accomplished. I mean, yes, it's been hard to get down here, but I knew it'd be difficult. And everything I've set out to do, I have been rewarded for. So, Aram, you have, roughly speaking, uh, about 55 minutes (laughs) while this magic will be contained. Oh, I see. I will step just outside of my circle, because I can freely step across the circle, whatever I want. I will walk around and take a good look at it, crack my knuckles, take a few steps back, and I will reach into my pocket and pull out this little velvet bag and unroll it, and inside it are three little metal goats. And there's like a little small one, a medium-sized one, and a very large one. And I run my fingers over all of them, and as I as I do, I can hear the goats in the back of my mind as I touch each one. There, there, my dears, yes, yes. And I'll take the center goat, the middle-sized goat, I will place him down, I will tap him on the head. Up, up, Bartholomew, come, come. And immediately, this little statuette takes a couple little steps forward, and every time he does, he's just a little bit bigger. And every time he does, he just kind of like moves the shoulders a little bit, does a little bit of a stretch. Actually, just cracks its neck, looks over at you, makes direct eye contact. <laughs> and he gets to goat size, but he keeps growing and he gets 
bigger and his jaw unhinges and teeth pull out and his horns become jagged and his eyes crackle and his muscles just get huge and he's got these boom boom giant front hooves right like like the whole front part of him is more muscular than the rest almost like an ape so it's a very unsettling creature because i have summoned the terror goat out of the three goats of wondrous power whatever is going to come out of this thing is going to need a stomping. Then that is what Bartholomew is here for. Bartholomew does the stomping. So this is a goat that skipped leg day? Is that like... <laughs> this is a goat that skipped leg day, yeah. Okay. I'm just like trying to picture this. I'm like, okay. He didn't skip leg day. He skipped back leg day. The front legs are back huge. Leg day. All front leg day. All front legs. <laughs> Got it. All front leg day. <laughs> Got it. Been to the gym, only front legs. So comes out turns to go, does the eye contact, finishes the transformation, turns back, and just goes. And this is the extent of your preparation, huh? I've summoned my Pokemon. Okay, cool. <laughs> Bartholomew, I choose you. And the other thing I will do is I will cast Mage Armor. At the end of an hour, you're sitting there, like, almost bored. You had one extra patch, there's a chair that you've just been sitting on while Bartholomew has just been kind of like occasionally looking at this like swirling vortex, like, I can't ram that. Looking back at you, like, are you sure that this was what you intended to do? Yes, yes, just wait, Bartholomew, and I'll just rub him behind the ears. It's okay, Bartholomew. Yes, yes. You'll taste blood soon. Do not worry. And slowly, you start to see your circle falter. You feel it crack, and you immediately see, like, that black gust of wind come out one side and out the other, and then it shatters. You can feel immediately that there was a pressure on the inside of this, and the moment one crack formed, the entire thing just explodes, and energy suffuses the room. It's the same feeling as it was before without the rejuvenation. You just burn. It hurts. And you watch as around the room, a litter of corpses just start to shift. Now that's that's concerning, but to be expected. Death is upon us, Bartholomew. Slightly more concerning is towards the back corner of the room, where you can see what you took to be a refuse pile. And you watch the skull of a bull start to shift and you see the the spine of a cow like try to move and this is just a pile of bones so it's almost like you can see skull knows that it goes at the top of spine but the cow spine is way the fuck over at the far end of things and it winds up attached to like a chicken and what winds up happening is out of this mess a man stands it's got the head of a bull one leg is very clearly from something like an ogre, the other one like a, a kind of tall orc, so it's a little bit lopsided, but still like, yeah, close enough. Basically, these bones just made an effort to find each other and fit together in the best way they could. And you wind up with something that, if you were, if you had read a book but not understood what you read, you would call this a minotaur. I watch that monstrosity form in front of me, and I just kind of reach up and pat Bartholomew. Why don't you take that one, my dear, and I'll handle the others. 
I feel like the, so like the large minotaur skeleton is sort of like pulsing with this like black glittery kind of energy that like the bones are sort of continually trying to like readjust themselves and trying to make themselves stand up straight, but it's lopsided and things are too heavy, but it's continually shifting. In a good skeleton, that energy would be contained inside the bones, but the joint doesn't line up right. So you can see where like the left side is like leaking a little bit, trying to grab, and then the bone shifts in the socket, but that knocks the right side out of joint. Like its movements are very staccato and it's like sort of just constantly trying to click back into place and you hear it too. You hear the sounds of the bones kind of like clacking together. Um, as it just sort of like lumbers towards you. That pile, for the record, does have like a good probably eight or so other skeletons that you do not have to contend with because they did not get anything resembling an anatomy. Sure. They're just discrete piles of bones that are technically animate at this point. (laughs) The Minotaur probably steps on three of them on the way out and crushes them anyway. There is one that has, like, a human arm, but a chicken torso. (laughs) Jesus, Dylan. That's just done. I think the the zombie corpses are sort of, like, in a varying state of decay. One or two of them are very close to being skeletons, but not quite. They just sort of have clothes on and, like, a little bit of meat still hanging from them. And then there are two of them that are clearly pretty recently deceased and almost look like normal people with the exception of the fact that they're very stiff and kind of gray and have you know sword wounds right through the middle of them um or one i think has like a a bite right out of its shoulder from that dragon thing Uh, but the rest of them are kind of sort of in middle stages of decay and it's pretty gross like as they stand up um bits are kind of falling off a little bit as they move and they kind of try to gain some sort of balance as they stand up. Ram, this is where you count yourself lucky. Your magic circle shattered as if it were a physical object. Right. There are places where just magical wall embedded in the floor as it dissipated and it basically, the necromantic energy hit it and cascaded up. And that is the only reason there is not an undead dragon in the room, is just the circle shattered right and blocked that off. Well, that's because the gods are always with me, Dylan. As we've proven this entire adventure, I'm fated to be here. I am chosen. Well, on that note, let's roll for initiative. I rolled a two plus one, which is a three. So as much bravado as I'm talking right now, I'm a little bit shocked by all this. <laughs> Give me a second one just for the uh, goat. Yeah, because the goat's tough. <laughs> goat got natural 20. <laughs> goat's been waiting for a fight for 58 minutes. Just like... <laughs> it's like pacing back and forth. Yeah, yeah, I got him, boss. The first 15 minutes was I got him, boss. And then the next, like... 20 minutes we're just looking back at you like are you fucking why now you know that i have a limited time you can call me out i could have 
slept in. It's only six hours, boss. What did this fight cost, like, like a whole five hours? Like, you could have just left me in a statue while I was nice and quiet. New York? I hate They're all fucking from New York. You could have just left me in a statue. I could have just sat there. But no, I got to, like, sit here and watch the goddamn light show. I couldn't have, like, been in paradise. You know, it's go paradise in there. So whenever you pull me, you yank me out of go paradise. Amelia, I just need to know, did you roll anything under a three? I rolled a nine. So our order of operations is goat, then monsters, then wizard. As it should be. The goat of terror becomes a giant goat for up to three hours. So actually, we only got two hours now. The goat of terror becomes a giant goat for up to three hours. The goat can't attack. Oh, whoops. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Did I I'm the worst wrong. fucking wizard ever. Oh, the worst wizard. The goat can't attack, but you can remove its horns and use them as weapons. This is not something. I sh this is not what I thought this was going to be. One of them should be. There's a goat of traveling. It's just like a, but it has no stats. And then there's the goat of travail that becomes a giant goat for up to three hours. Once it's been used again, oh, maybe that's it. That's the one you're looking for. Okay, here's what I think happens. I think, like, so we're gonna give you the summon, like, for free. Uh, I think well, it's one I've of those things where you summon the wrong with. one and yeah. you're sitting there looking at these things. And you're like so bored because you're waiting an hour and you're like, maybe I'll just read the instruction book while I'm sitting here. <laughs> you pull out the pamphlet. I've got nothing else to do. Maybe this is even just like you knew what you were doing. You were making an active choice. It's just you didn't realize how bad this would be i literally didn't know the whole time i'm sitting there like way like expecting the goat to fight and the goat can't talk or communicate right but it keeps yeah. nudging me it keeps like shoving its horn because like its horn is literally a sword it keeps trying to get me to take the damn sword but i'm like yes yes we'll fight soon just sit the fuck down god right just ignoring it the whole time and as the wall's coming down i finally realized that oh shit Basically, you're holding the box and it knocks the box out of your head and just nudges yeah. the smallest one towards you like that wait, one. What do you Oh, wait. So the reason why I go last is because I mean, because like I'm fumbling to get the fighting goat out okay. as I trembly take the magical sword and hold it. And now I'm just so freaked out that I definitely go last. All right. Aram, what does the giant goat do? gonna fucking ram what is the giant it's gonna charge that big sucker and just put its horns into it give me an attack roll 19 plus 5 is 24 that's a definite hit the charge bonus is if the goat moves at least 20 feet straight towards the target and hits with a ram attack it deals an extra 2d4 damage all right so it's 2d4 plus 2d4 plus 3 yes uh, Amelia, I'm going to need you to make a strength save for the Minotaur skeleton. Okay. Just comes to life and then boosh. Uh, let's see here. It's like this thing is shambling forward more so than most skeletons shamble. And they do. They're quite well known for shambling. So I rolled a three. Well, it is very new. And it does have some fucking wonky ass legs. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's very unstable and it is trying really hard to stay upright. But I think at this point when being charged by a giant goat, its knees buckle and it kind of falls into this pile and we'll have to scoop itself back up. That skeleton is immediately knocked prone uh, and you deal your damage around how much is that? 
that is going to be 13 plus 3 is 16 points of damage as this pissed off giant goat slams into it. That goat means business. That's a good goat. That goat ain't fucking around. That's a that's a good goat. Amelia, you have seven generic undead plus the Minotaur skeleton. I think I want them to attack like three at a time. I think I want three at a ramen, and then let's say four at his goat. My AC is currently 15. One of them will get a reaction from me where I will cast shield. So I rolled a 17. Okay, so 17 would hit, but a little blast of energy pops up and my shield goes off and blocks that. That's the only one I get. No, it's until the start of your next turn. You have a plus five bonus to AC. An invisible barrier force appears and protects you until the start of your next turn. You have plus five bonus to AC, including against the trigger. Oh, you're absolutely fucking right. I'm so dumb. So yes, that's all of them. So my AC is currently 20. Thank you, better DM. That's what I'm here for. So they surround me, but but my magical shield is able to hold them back. Uh, so then the other group, I rolled an 11. Uh, the giant goat has an AC of 11, so that is indeed going to hit. This goat's name is Donatello. I like that the first one is at least like an attempt at a pun. It's Bartholomew, which for the record, not what goats are. And then the other one, you just immediately realize like, no, these puns aren't working and just drop it. Horsifer. <laughs> the damage is 1d6 plus 1. So I got two, so that's three. And then times four for each of the zombies. Right, so 12. Take that, goat. Oh, my goat's not looking good. Oh, goat's not like whole chunks of goats. The goat's still doing all right. The goat is just... Goat's got 19 hit points total, so goat is not looking all right. Goat is looking bad. It's a swarm of zombies just grabbing onto this thing and trying to eat it, just having that semblance of memory of, like, goat is food. And then the last hit is just trying to get in over the backs of all the enemies, just a single scimitar from a skeleton, just... Oh, poor Donnie. Amelia, the Minotaur. You won't rub that. The Minotaur got a five. Minotaur's not... Minotaur got his clock rocked. He's yeah. just—he's he, got like those little cartoon stars and birds going around right taking now. Taking a full turn, I think, for him to like recombobulate and put himself back together. I knocked his head like ten feet that way. He had to go get it, put it back on. They have to straighten it, right? Yeah, it's true. The elbow was trying to reattach to the knee, so we have to like move that back up to where it goes. It's why the attack missed is because the elbow was attached at the knee and tried to swing the axe. So the entire thing just tripped. Right. Totally missed just it. Just had to yep. put it back on, just pull itself back to its feet. But he's coming. Uh, Aram, it is your turn and your goat isn't dead yet. You know, my little black heart actually has some, I'm, I'm one of those assholes who's like, fuck everyone, but I like my dog. So what I'm going to do is <laughs> I'm surrounded by these three Zo- uh, zombies, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. But my magic has so far worked flawlessly. So even though it's scary, I still get a little bit of a smirk as I put my hand to the sky and like a little bit of lightning forms in my in my palm and I just slam it into the ground as I cast thunder a step. 
I vanish from where I am. I appear next to my goat and in the space where I was, an explosion of lightning and thunder goes off. Everyone, all the zombies in that area have to make a constitution save DC 14. If they fail, they take full damage. If they succeed, they take half. All right. My poor zombies. Okay, so here's the thing. The zombies rolled a 19. Nice. They're tough. Yeah, they're, I think, doing okay. All right, so they take half damage. 16, half of that is eight points of damage. As I vanish from that spot, appear next to my buddy goat, and there's just get blasted back. Do I need to keep track of how much no, I got damage it. I'm taking, or are you? Okay, cool. We just have to do fun things. Dylan does all the points. He's the best. I have a liberal arts degree, so if you could do the math, that would be awesome. I'm a high school dropout, so it's really glad that Dylan's doing the math. I have two and a half physics degrees, and I'm working on actually finishing the third one. Yeah, you got to do the fucking math. Yeah, you you know what? Yeah, honestly, yeah. come on. When civilization <laughs> collapses, you have to do all the fucking math. You guys are smug, but when society ends, I have to do a bunch of math, but you guys are basically food. But here's the thing. I'll be dead, so I won't care. Right, I'll be long dead. <laughs> You'll be the one worrying about all the numbers. There's this whole thing where they're like, what do you do if you survive the zombie apocalypse? What makes you think I'm going to survive the outbreak? And like, why would I want to? I'll be in a major city. I'll be gone in hours. <laughs> You're going to see me the third episode in when they have to go in for supplies and I'm the jump scare from a closet that I was <laughs> hiding in and still got bit. That's how you're going to see me in a zombie movie. It's the goat's turn. So the goat's having like fucking chunks ripped out of it. And I just appear next to it. Now, technically, I still have a bonus action. This is true. And there's that big thunderclap. It's basically all of the zombies like stumble back a little bit and then turn around vaguely confused, trying to figure out where the fuck you are. Question. Am I going to resent the fact that you're asking me a question? Is this goat technically a thing? Like, it's not a fucking verb. It's an object. Yeah. So if I was to appear next to it, place my hand lovingly upon it, look into its big, beautiful goat eyes. I hate where this is going. <laughs> and cast mending, it would make sense that I'd be able to repair some of the damage that has been done to it. I would buy that. I want it on the record. Because, like, zombies are fucking meaty and you're going to need backup, that's why we're letting this fly. In any regular game, then no, like, when a figurine of wondrous power loses all of its hit points it's fine and you can get it back up and the rest of the party will save your ass but you need somebody to pull your ass out of the fire and it's gonna be this fucking goat as long as we're clear on that yay what do i roll for this bullshit i'll give you 2d6 mend that goat 12 12 fucking points of healing i reach towards this goat i grab its tuft lovingly it turns with the same love back and there is a bridge please stop describing this as lovingly do you look into its eyes and like do a little foot little goat i love you is okay oh, I love you. Oh, i've never loved anything as much as this goat and it will never die it'll come back whenever i roll for it it's always the same goat i never have to watch it pass i never have to worry about it it never disappoints me i love this goat dylan more than i've ever loved anything and i pour 
12 points of loving healing energy back into that goat as it rears up throwing these zombies off it and heals to full it's everything your mother wasn't (laughs) (laughs) that was like exactly as much damage as it took wasn't it it was exactly as much damage as it took i'm really rooting for this goat i know i'm playing the zombies but i'm really rooting for this goat Everyone else can die except for the goat. I'm kind of with you on this one. This is the good news. If Aram dies, then the goats become part of the horde. And one day an adventurer will come, a good adventurer who doesn't suck and isn't a piece of shit, and they'll take the goats home. I like that for them. That's the worst case scenario. But for now. But for now. (laughs) For now, this goat slams back to the ground. It attacks the biggest thing in front of it because it is like, fuck you. I'm the biggest thing. And it comes after that thing. It does. Goat machismo. It is going to ramp, which is a plus five to hit. 14 plus five is 19. That should probably hit, right? Yeah. So then it takes another two die four plus three points of damage. Four plus three is seven points of damage. And it just like slams its hoofs down right into your chest. It's a giant goat, so when it rears up on its back legs, it is actually roughly the height of this weird minotaur concoction. And it hits almost like fucking a bro trying to start a fight. Come at me. They're like two boxers stumbling around a ring right now, locked up with each other. One fucker in this fight has horns, and it's me. One of us gotta go. And that brings us back to Amelia. I want the ones that were far away, that got hit by the thunder and lightning, to sort of try and shamble over, come at you from behind, because now you're over by the goat and the minotaur, right? We're going to say that they're far enough away that it takes, like, the full round, because I think they have, like, a 20-foot move speed. So, Aram, at the end of this, you are completely surrounded, but they're not chewing on you yet. So that's that pack. Then the other pack that was already there is going to go for Aram, too. But they only got a two... So they're not doing great. This is something where, like, they're all, like, shambling over each other and trying to reach past each other and, like, tripping and fumbling. And the the only thing getting through is this skeleton who, like, actually has the memory of being an adventurer and fighting with a sword and fighting evil wizards. So it sees zombies and a wizard and goes, combat. Yep. Fortunately, you have a goat sword, so you can deflect the scimitar. Oh, right. I say, forgetting I've been holding the goat sword the entire time. It just, oh, shit. You've been holding a magic goat sword since this fight started. Right. It's still in my hand. I just deflect a guy by accident. It's like the wax on thing. It just goes by. It just, it's just pure instinct as this sword comes up to block a zombie trying to slash my face off. You're like holding it up like you thought it was your spell book. And then you hear a clang and you're like, oh, right. Cool. Fuck yeah. God, these goats are amazing. I want these. <laughs> I am going to roll for my Minotaur. Going to keep going for the goat. I, I think that they're locked in an eternal battle at this point. You know, and there's probably like some fight music. Tell them like they can't see anybody but each other. They're just like locked eyes. Let the squalls fight. This is for us. I think we're going to go with the great axe because I just like the visual of it better. 16. 16's going to hit. I got an AC like 11. 8 and 5 is 13. 
plus four is 17. Donnie doesn't die. No, barely. Oh, he's so close. He's so close to death. Donnie's on two hit points. I feel so bad. Donnie! So as that axe just, like, takes a chunk out of him. And I see him kind of stumble to one leg. He's not dead, but boy, Donnie doesn't look good. I can feel those zombies coming up behind me. They're going to be on me next round. I could fireball them. But for the first time in a long time, I take a selfless action. There's a wave of zombies running up behind me. I'm going to fireball them. I could take them all out and protect myself. But at the last minute, my fingers clutch around that tiny little fireball pellet and redirect it in front of me. So it takes out the Minotaur and the zombies swarming over Donnie, but leaves me vulnerable to the ones running up behind me. We do all of this theater of the mind. Reasonably, everybody was getting swarmed and it could be fair to expect that that would not be reasonable to do. But for Donnie... But it sounds cool. For Donnie, we're gonna let it go. Donnie's his last little bit of strength. He's able to push the Minotaur over with yeah, his horns. That was the move, was the big overhead swing, and it locked in the horns. Yeah. That's the thing, is that thick skull of his is the only thing that kept it out of his fucking brain. Oh, thick skull thing. Donnie, that's fucking. what we call him. <laughs> that's rude. He loves it. Look at anyway. him. He's smiling. He's almost dead. His tail's still wagging. Amelia, I want you to give me three deck saves for the skeleton, the zombies, and the minotaur. Oh, boy. Okay. I've got the numbers in front of me, so just give me three d20 rolls. Twelve. Twelve. Okay, so that's plus two is a 14. 14 makes the save for the skeleton, the regular skeleton, the people skeleton. Ten. And the zombies are at a minus two, so the Zombies are going to take full fireball. Minotaur no. skeleton's taking full fireball. Skellington is taking half. My sweet, beautiful creatures. I redirect this little pea of fire towards them, and it lands perfectly. It goes through, and there's that moment of it looks like it's going to just hit the Minotaur, and it would absolutely hit all of your enemies without touching you, but it'd blow up Donnie, and then it just passes between two ribs, travels another ten feet, and the Minotaur glances back. And then there's the explosion. Eight dice, six points of damage, which equals 36 points of fire damage as they are just engulfed in flame. Even haft is enough to drop the skeleton, is enough to drop all three of those zombies in that little swarm. Because they should get undead fortitude. But that's DC 5 plus the damage taken, which is a save of 41. It's not going to happen. And 36 points of damage to the Minotaur. It's not looking great. It's still on its feet, though. It's angry now. I would expect it to be quite peeved. And I think that's everything I can do. I could move, but I'm not going to leave Donnie's yeah, side. Yeah, you can't leave Donnie. No. Are kidding me? What kind of monster would I? What kind of monster am I? Aram, there is one action you could take with a bonus action that I would... I don't know if it's actually a bonus action, but I would let you do it. Yeah, right. Recalling Donnie. To keep him safe? Your call. 
I'm here to fight with them, but I'm also a logical person. I know if Donnie dies, he's just going to become a thing again. And frankly, I need to not die so I can recall Donnie again. So it was like, I think about it for a second. And I was like, what the fuck am I thinking? And I go, <laughs> and I turn to face the things coming down. Like, come on, Donnie, get him. You come to your senses. Remember you're an asshole. And then right, on exactly. we go. <laughs> right. Remember that moment, audience, where we thought, oh, maybe, he does maybe have a this heart. wizard isn't a piece of shit. No. Wrong again, idiots. But also, like, I just don't want to <laughs> die. I mean, I think that's an understandable motive for any person. Yeah, no, that's fair. I don't know. I'm a necromancer. I don't I don't really see the problem there, but that's fine. Right. Anyway, that, that makes it Donnie's turn. Donnie is going to continue the endless feud between goat and bull, and he is going <laughs> to attack this minotaur. Come on, Donnie. Come on, Donnie. Come on, Donnie. 16 plus 5 is 21. That is definitely going to mm -hmm. So Donnie deals another 2d4 plus 3. 7 plus 3 is 10 points of damage as Donnie just gets Donnie. up and slams into this thing. The true hero of the story. is Donnie, for sure. Flame knocks it off of its feet. It is weak. You can see the way the magic is crackling. Like it was initially like grasping for purchase. It was seeking, but here it's fizzling. And Donnie rears up, shoves the thing back, and then uses the space it gets to just get down and under and comes up, horns into the rib cage and smashes through the spine. The head and arms of the Minotaur land behind Donnie, and the legs crumple in front of him. There's like a pile, I think, of like dust and kind of shards on the floor where it was, and it's sort of like that black magic energy that was in it sort of starts to fade into like a gray and then sort of settles into the white of the bone, and then it's like not glowing anymore. And then Donnie's like probably just like standing over it, like panting. Just covered in, like, snow. Just this pile of ash on top of him, yeah. Yep. Just kind of looks over at you, gives you a little head nod, a little tilt up, and then it looks behind you at the remaining zombies. Oh, the classic bro nod. Donnie's a bro. Donnie is a bro. But a good bro. Donnie's the bro that keeps all the other bros in line and keeps them accountable. <laughs> That's Donnie. We all need a Donnie in our lives. The remaining zombies, Amelia. There's three left, right? There are. Oh, damn. All right. Take this, Aram. Come on, Magical Shield. I'm AC 15. Cool. I rolled a 16. So, well, it is a 16 total. 3d6 plus 3. Fuck. One does two. Uh, one does seven. And one does six. Oh, 15, 15 points. points of, oh, I had 27. I now have... 12 points of damage. So, like, just describe how they rock me. So I think that they have been coming towards you over the course of this last round, and they are, I think, fully aware of this battle that's going on around them of the partly skewered goat, and uh, they've been shocked by lightning. They're angry, and so I think they are coming at you just full force. Like, we can smell blood, we know you're here and just like powering through at you as hard as they can. Pure instinct. 
Yeah, so I look fucked off. (laughs) (laughs) Moral of the story is. (laughs) Aram, you've burned all your third level slots. You're sitting on 12 hit points. What do you do? Okay, so I'm surrounded. I'm being eaten up. I've got my buddy here who's almost dead. There's one thing I can do. What I'm going to have to do is going to hurt. I can hit him, but I got to hit gotta hit Donnie too because I have a cantrip where I can just thunder a clap and I can nail all of them but there's no way I can nail all of them without nailing Donnie I think what he would do is like lean back he's got him like they're all just kind of taking chunks out of him and biting him but he leans back and he would have fallen but his back hits Donnie this big warm bloody wall panting barely able to stand behind him he puts one hand back and he looks at Donnie, and they just make eye contact, and they both nod. And he turns around as these hands and teeth take chunks out of him, and he just slams his fists together and creates a thunderclap that strikes all of them. So for the thunderclap, it's a constitution save DC 14 for half. I rolled a seven. I'll roll for the goat. I also rolled a seven. Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't add anything, but I don't... Oh, You're not going to add six. So, yeah, no, only three. Okay, here comes the damage. Oh, I've never felt so fucking conflicted about rolling damage. 2d6. Ten points of damage as I slam my hands together. You immediately drop Donnie. Oh, God. You made, you made a conscious choice, though. You had that, like, hand on his fur, and you knew this was going to happen, and the moment it goes off, you just catch the figurine in your palm. It feels terrible, but you know you have him. Jesus, that's heartbreaking, but yes. They'll be back tomorrow. And immediately, the three zombies stumble back, and then they come forward again. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. This is, like, so high stakes. It really is. I rolled a 17. Shit, that definitely hits me, yeah. <laughs> they, get right back through my, they get right back through my armor. It's going to be 3d6 plus 3 for all of the zombies. 7, 5, and 2. 14. As this little miniature hits my hand, and my thumb rolls across its beautifully carved golden waves of fur, I turn and I face the zombies coming down, but I'm just not fast enough. They get through my shield. They tear into me. I feel teeth sink into my neck. Black stars flicker at the edge of my vision. And just for a second, I know that I'm not getting out of this one. And I just hit the ground. I remember hitting so hard. And then all of a sudden I'm just laying sideways, looking out, feeling my body jerk as parts are just torn out of it. And my hand opens and the little goat figure of Donnie rolls out onto the pavement, glistening in this one beam of light as it all fades to black. How dare you make me care? If you want to suggest creatures for future episodes or talk about the monsters we've discussed on the show, head on over to our Discord. 
You can find links on killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill Every Monster. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. The ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. A kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon Chazar. Great Lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.